Do you know Jesus today? Are you excited that you know Jesus today? Could we celebrate that together as a church? You know, uh, we, were, we were reminded yesterday at our evangelism conference that we get so excited about so many different things. The sports teams we watch, and no one has to tell us to stand up and clap. Probably some of you, we wouldn't want to see you in your living room when you watch the game because you're throwing things. Can I get an amen? And we come into church, and we have the greatest, the greatest reason in the world to celebrate. Last week, we got to see 15 people give their life to Jesus Christ. That's, that's worth celebrating, isn't it? Uh, today, today, we got to see three people following believers' baptism. That's worth celebrating, isn't it? I had, I had the privilege this morning in our new members class to, to sit around the table and listen to 10 different people tell me how they met Jesus. And in what came out of those stories, one of the ladies mentioned, it's just neat to hear everyone's story and how God customizes the way he reaches us. Because the reality is this morning that if you know who Jesus is, it's not because you just decided one day, oh, I'm pretty good and I need Jesus. No one seeks God on their own. No one comes to God without the Holy Spirit calling them unto himself. And, and if you know Jesus Christ, the reality is that God came after you. God pursued you. And he pursued you so much that he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for your sins. And that is worth celebrating, isn't it, church? And this morning, if you're in here and you hear this words and you hear the worship, the name of Jesus. If you've never called on the name of Jesus, Acts tells us it's by the name of Jesus, the only name by which we are saved. The only way that I can have a relationship with God, my Savior, is through Jesus. And if you don't know Jesus and you've never given your life to Jesus, I pray you'll do it today. And we will celebrate it. We will celebrate what God has done in this place. But I'm, I'm expecting God to do even more, aren't you? I'm expecting God to do more, aren't you? I'm expecting God to do more, aren't you? God, we are blessed to be here. Lord, we're blessed to have this facility. But Lord, every time I walk in this room and I see empty seats, I feel a weight of responsibility that you've given us this facility. God, we are expecting and asking you to do more. Forgive us, Lord, if, if there's things that we could do, if there's people we could invite, if there's our neighbors that we could share the gospel with, Lord, and we come in here and we celebrate, and, and Lord, it's, it's right to celebrate what you've done. But Lord, help the celebration not to stop at the doors or inside this room. But Lord, that what you've done in our lives and through this church, that we would take it to our neighborhoods, our schools, our workplace, our families. Lord, that this celebration would continue every single week. Every week we would see more people come to know the name of Jesus Christ. He is the one we want to celebrate. He is the one we want to worship. The name of Jesus is what we want to honor. We'll just sing the last part of that verse 
again this morning and just celebrate the name of Jesus? Isn't Jesus worthy, worthy of our worship? Let's forget about everything else this morning but just the name of Jesus. And let's worship Him today. Amen. Your name, your name is victory. All praise will rise to Christ our King. Your name, your name is victory. All praise will rise to Christ our King. Your name, your name, your name is victory. All praise will rise to Christ our King. God is good, isn't he? You may be seated, and man, I appreciate the praise team and Ben for leading us in worship. Uh, my note says that they were supposed to go down when I was talking earlier, and uh, so I threw them a curveball, but I appreciate them being able to uh, just lead us to the throne of God, to point us to Jesus. And, and if, if, if we come into this room, and what we do does not point people to Jesus, then we shouldn't even come into this room. Amen. He's the only reason we're here. Can I get an amen? amen. I'm, I'm excited. Are you guys excited? Amen. You guys don't sound as excited as I want you to be. Are you guys excited? Amen. All right, that's good, man. Yeah. Hey, the, the youth are getting into it. I like it. And I want to welcome you here this morning. I, again, am thankful to be a part of such a great church. This church has a, a long history of pointing people to Jesus. I was reminded that again uh, yesterday. I was talking uh, actually to Bob Parikh. I don't know where, where Bob is. There he is. Hey, Bob. Thank you, Bob, for being here. And, and he, he uh, has an amazing testimony of how God rescued him and uh, just uh, really got into the United States from India and uh, was a follower of the Hindu religion. And uh, just this um, strange, odd man walked into his shop and told him about Jesus. That strange, odd man was Bruce O'Neill, all right? And so the testimony of this church has gone all over the world. But, but let's not brag on the church. The, the most important thing is the testimony, the name of Jesus, has come out of this place to go all over the world. And I'm glad to be a part of that. And so open up your Bibles. We're going to be in Philippians chapter number two this morning. We started a series two weeks ago. Um, I am pretty confident that you will get out sooner today than you did last Sunday. And uh, unless you guys are okay with that, I'll take a seat right here and we can hang out for a couple hours. 
Uh, but a, man, what a great day last week it was. And if, if you missed last week, shame on you. If you missed the week before that, shame on you. If you missed next week, shame on you, right? You should be here every week because God shows up here. And if you want to meet with God, be here. Be, be in church somewhere. We'd like you to be here, but be where God wants you to be and be in the presence of God. And so last week we had an amazing uh, week, but two weeks ago we started our uh, series. And, and we're giving you a really just a bird's eye view, quick view of the book of Philippians. You could spend a lot of time in there. We're going one week, uh, one chapter per week. And so we're kind of giving you just a quick overview of the book of Philippians. But uh, as I told you two weeks ago, in, in my translation that I use, the New King James Version, I counted 19 different ways that it said either joy or gladness or, um, or blessed in the four chapters of Philippians. Um, and I read somewhere, I don't know where, that there were 20. I never found them. Did anybody find 20 in, in your translation, possibly? Or we got a couple braggers back there. Glad you found it. And uh, no. Um, so I encourage you to read. You can read the whole chapter in like two minutes. It doesn't take very long. How many of you are speed readers? Any speed readers? How many are really slow readers? Okay. I'm a speed reader that comprehends nothing. So I don't know what that means. I, how many of you, do you guys remember... I'm off notes here, but you guys ever remember those, uh, did you guys ever have to do the reading machines where you would crank up? Anybody done those? Like how many words per minute? How many of you did that? Okay, I don't, maybe that's a, I'm not going to say what I was thinking. It almost, uh, anyways, we'll move on from there. There's a certain type of people that are raising their hand to that. I mean, I'm one of those, but I remember in reading class, um, we had to do that little machine and you could crank it up to... 400 words a minute, 500 words a minute, 600 words a minute, and uh, I learned quickly that, um, that you could just kind of hold the piece of paper and crank it up and just, you know, cheat. I cheated. Okay, so I could read like 1,600 words a minute according to their, their deal, and, and then I cheated for the answers too, but that's a whole other, we're not even, wasn't planning on that. Philippians chapter 2, he talks about joy. And the first week we talked about joy in suffering. This week we're going to talk about joy in serving. And we, we read this definition that, that came up by John Piper as he was just processing through the book of Philippians and why Paul wrote the book of Philippians and what his intent was on that we need to pursue joy and what, what is joy. And so here's the definition that we went over two weeks ago. It says this, it's a good feeling in the soul produced by the Holy Spirit as he causes us to see the beauty of Christ in the word and in the world. And so when you think about this definition, joy, what we're wanting, pursuing joy, it's produced not by us, not by our willpower, not by our actions, not like I'm going to get up and do better today, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a decision, but it's produced by the Holy Spirit as he causes us to see the beauty of Christ in everything around us, in his word and in the world. And so the first week we talk about suffering. Paul wrote uh, the book of Philippians from, from jail. I'm not going to ask you how many of you have been in jail before. But he wrote it from jail. And, and so this understanding of we can have joy in spite of our circumstances. That was what we talked about the first week. And, and we even made the statement that God can make your mess his message. Or his test, your testimony. And that was two weeks ago. And then the very next Sunday, last Sunday, when Ken Freeman stood up here... We got a, a vivid example of how God can turn a mess into his message. 
And so I want you to understand this morning, if, if, you, if you have a past and been talked about that, that God can wash away that past and, and God can forgive those sins, but he can also not only redeem that past, he can use your story. That the, the greatest tool you have to give Jesus Christ is your story of redemption, your story of how you met Jesus Christ. And, and in a commentary, I want you to read a little bit about just kind of maybe will give us a better context of chapter number two and what Paul would have been dealing with at the time. So he's writing, and in chapter two he's addressing, addressing turmoil in the church. Okay, And so here's a little bit of context. True spiritual unity comes from within. It's a matter of the heart. That is why Paul opens up this section appealing to the highest possible spiritual motive. Since the believers are at Philippi, are in Christ, all right? So kind of a redundant statement there. They're believers, so because of their believers, they are in Christ, Christ in them. Okay, he says, this ought to encourage them to work toward unity and love. So Paul, in, in this first statement here that I just read, what the, what the author here is saying about Paul and what he's writing is that the church, because they're in Christ, ought to work towards unity and love. In a gracious way, Paul is saying to the church, your disagreements reveal that there is a spiritual problem in your fellowship. It is going to be solved. It's not going to be solved by rules or by threats. So how is the disagreements that Paul is addressing here going to be solved? It's going to be solved when your hearts are right with Christ and with each other. So the focus for each of us this morning as we walk through this book, this chapter, is to look inward in my own life. How can I walk with Christ? Paul wanted them to see that the, basis, uh, the basic cause was selfishness. Nobody in here is selfish, right? Would anybody admit to being a selfish person this morning? Okay. If you didn't raise your hand, you're just admitting you're a liar. But... Paul wanted them to see the basic cause was selfishness, and the cause of selfishness is pride. There can be, listen to this statement, there can be no joy in the life of a Christian who puts himself above others. Let me read that again. There can be no joy in the life of a Christian who puts himself above others. So two statements, one regarding last week, the secret of joy in spite of circumstances is the single mind. I'm focused on Christ. So today, chapter 2, the secret of joy in spite of people. Do people sometimes uh, rob you of your joy? I'm going to ask that again. Do sometimes, do people rob you of your joy? I heard some angel voices out there. Yes, that was awesome. So, when, can you, can you, I just want to go back in your mind um, some of you, this will be really recent. Some of it may be a little longer. Think about the last time that you were in a group photo. Okay, so maybe it was the birthday party, and you got the waitress at the end of the table to take the group photo. Maybe it was in a family event, and, and uh, I, I was thinking through this, and, and the last group photo I was in uh, was um, a, couple, a week or so ago, uh, about eight guys got together to talk about the men's retreat. And I was sitting at the end of the table. They took a group photo. Um, I, I can see the picture in my mind right now. So you, everybody get the picture in your mind. And you know, 
the only person I'm looking at or the first person I look at when I see a group photo? It's me. Like even in, in, the, in my mind right now, I'm picturing that picture and the only one I'm seeing in the picture is guess who? Me, I look pretty good. I mean, it's in my mind, I look pretty good. I, we're all pretty self-absorbed people, aren't we? And, and you consider, I, but I know that every time you look at a group photo, the first thing you look at is, or the first person you look at is yourself. And if you're really, you know, vain, we'll just use that word, and your eyes are closed in the picture, what do you immediately do? Retake, right? And you'll retake and retake and retake, and you don't care if everyone else's eyes is closed in the picture as long as your eyes are not closed in the picture, right? And there's always that one person that's the most dominant about, well, all right, we got to redo it. Or they're, the, they're in charge of the camera, and they delete all the ones of you that you thought you looked good, but they kept the one that they look good. I, I, there's a little bitterness in my life right now. Can you, can you sense that? We're all selfish people. So let's look at, at Philippians chapter number 2. Philippians 2, and, and I love this chapter, and I think maybe the reason I love this chapter is because I, um, I struggle with, and we all struggle with pride and humility. Verse number 1, Philippians 2, Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if there is any comfort of love, any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Paul says, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. And, and so very, very first verse, verse 1, chapter 2, he says, therefore. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, any comfort of love, any fellowship of the Spirit, any affection and love, any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being what? Like-minded having unity. But you guys have heard the statement, right? So the very first word is therefore, and anytime you see a therefore, you're supposed to look and see what it's there for, right? What is he referencing here? Why is he challenging this church? Remember, he's writing at the church of Philippi, and he's telling this church to be of like-minded, having the same faith, being in unity is what he's talking about here. Look at verse number 27 of chapter number 1. Let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you what? Stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. For the sake of the gospel, Paul is saying here, therefore be like-minded. Okay? Be, ha have unity. And I love that this verse number two says, fulfill my joy. Paul Paul is, let's look at that a little bit. What he's saying here is, do you want to make me happy? Dads, we get this. We tell our kids, you want to make me happy? Do what your mom asks you to do. Obey the rules. Make your bed. Can I get an amen, parents? Kids are like, why? And I say that this morning, my wife wasn't home and my, our bed's not made. So anyways... You want to make me happy, Paul says? Have unity. 
verse 27 of chapter 1, he says, Whether I'm there or whether I'm absent, let me hear that in the church there is unity and like-mindedness, and I'm looking out for others' interests more than my own. Well, let's continue walking through this passage, and we're just going to walk through this text. Verse number 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So, so what mind? So in this text, we're going to walk through this text, and there's going to be four different examples. Okay, in this first verse here, or in verse number 5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. I think another way we could uh, translate that is let this attitude be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And what's the attitude he's talking about? It's the attitude displayed in the first four verses. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. So what he's saying here is if we could summarize verses 1 through 4 with one attitude or one characteristic, that word would be humility. And so then he goes on to describe it. Let this attitude be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Verse 6, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a slave or a bondservant, and he came in the likeness of men. That's humility. And there's no possible way for our minds to understand the degree of humility it took for Christ to humble himself, to come from heaven, to be here on earth with us. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. And I skipped one of the best verses. Let's look at verse 8. And being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death even the death of the cross. As Jesus hung there, mocked, beaten, spit upon, stripped of his clothes, stripped of his dignity, let's remember who's hanging on the cross. Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. Jesus, the one who created the universe spoke the world into existence. And he humbled himself and he became obedient to death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, verse 9, God also has highly exalted him, given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus Christ every knee should bow of those in heaven and those on the earth and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus humbled himself, God exalted him, and, and it says very clearly here, what, what happened, what you, what you participated with and, and, and heard of those baptisms, I have decided to follow Jesus. When people decide to follow Jesus and we get to be a part of that process, the last part of verse 11 says what? God is glorified. Do you want to see God glorified in this place? Do you want to see God glorified in this place? then we point people to Jesus. We point people to the one he exalted. And unfortunately, in my life, it's easier for me and it's more natural for me to, to point people to me and to exalt me, not others. So the first point there, if you're taking notes in your bulletin, the first example is Jesus. Jesus is our example. And, and what is the example? The next statement there, serving is humbling yourself. Humbling yourself like Jesus did. Well, how much or to what degree should I be willing to humble myself to serve others? 
Well, when you humble yourself as much as Jesus humbled himself, then you can stop. When you give up as much as what Jesus gave up, then you can stop. When you sacrifice as much as Jesus did, well, then you can stop. And I don't want to give you the answer to the question, but the reality is that's never going to happen. Serving is humbling yourself. Let's keep reading. Verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Now, some of you are looking in your Bible. Some of you are looking at your phone or your iPad. But I want everyone to look up at the screen to read verse 14. Okay? And when we get to the, these highlighted words, I want you to say them with me. Okay? This is the group participation part. This is just to wake you up, basically. All right? Are you guys tracking with me? We're going to read verse 14. When we get to the purple words there, then we're going to read, you're going to read those out loud. Are, are you guys tracking with me? Nod your head. All right. Do all things without and some of you couldn't read that word, could you? I just realized that's pretty difficult. Let's do it again. Do all things without and and now I'm not sure why this would be highlighted in church because I've never experienced any complaining or any disputing in church. But Paul did in Philippians, and that's why he's writing. He's writing, and, and so let's continue reading. That you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you, what, shine as lights in the world. Why should I stop complaining and disputing in the church? Because people are watching. When I complain and grumble, when we look in the context of verse 15, that we're shining as lights of the world, my complaining and my grumbling are, as a church, it dims the light of the gospel. When, when we are not willing to humble ourselves and serve others, it dims the light of the gospel. Six, or excuse me, verse 16, holding fast the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. Yes, and if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. For the same reason, you also be glad and rejoice with me. Example number two, if you're writing the notes, there is Paul. Paul's an example here, and he talks about it. The next blank there, serving is pouring yourself out. It's emptying yourself so that others could have. It's emptying yourself out. It's pouring yourself out. That, that others may know the gospel. That's the reason. It's always for the sake of the gospel. Paul, I pour my life out. I, I asked you a few weeks, two weeks ago, I guess, how many of you saw uh, the movie The Apostle Paul? How many, how many of you have seen that movie? And if, I don't know if it's even still in theaters anymore, but if it's, already, if it's not, then I'm going to encourage you when it comes out on DVD to get it. Uh, I watched that a couple weeks ago, and I told you about that. The very next week, uh, uh, our, our, many of our staff, we went and watched it together again. And the same emotion of how much Paul suffered for to me to live and to die is gain. He poured out his life to serve others. 
Let's, let's keep reading verse number 19. But I trust in the Lord, I, but I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly that I also may encourage when I know your state. For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely or genuinely care for your state. This is a sad verse, verse number 21. For all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. You know who Paul is actually talking about? So he's writing this letter to the church of Philippi. Is this verse 21, is he talking about the church of Philippi right now? He's not. Look at verse number 20 again. Let's go read 19, excuse me. But I trust the Lord, in the Lord Jesus, to send Timothy, so his goal is to send Timothy to Philippi, that I may also be encouraged when I know your state. For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely or genuinely care for you. So he's referencing in verse 21, because there's no one like-minded. They all seek their own. Not the things which are of Christ Jesus. He's actually not talking about the church membership. He's talking about leadership. Maybe even a step further, he's talking about the pastors. Because he's talking about, I'm sending Timothy to encourage you. But there's no other preachers, there's no one else I could send that's not, not only, you know, they're looking for the interest of themselves not the gospel. Isn't that a sad testimony? We won't dog on preachers too long. Let's keep, it kind of hurts, all right? Verse 22. But you know that his proven character, again, he's talking about Timothy. As a son with his father, he served with me in the gospel. So Paul is admonishing Timothy through this letter. I'm sending Timothy to you. I'm hoping to send Timothy to you. And you know that he, he's been like a son to me in the ministry. But I trust, verse 24, but I trust in the Lord that I myself shall, be, shall also come shortly. So the third example here that we see in this text is Timothy. And the third example is Timothy. And, and if you have your bullets in there, you can, you can see here as we walk through this. Serving is humbling yourself. Serving is pouring yourself out. And then we're under Timothy. Serve, serving is genuine concern or sincere concern. And I wonder for us in the room this morning, could that be said of us? That we have genuine concern for the other people in this room, for those who are not yet in the room. Let's keep reading. Let's finish the text. Verse number, uh, verse number 25. And, and I think about um, this last person, this last example. I'm not, I'll be completely honest with you. I'm not really sure how to say his name. And when you don't know how to say someone's name, you just say it with confidence, all right? So we're going to pretend like I know what I'm talking about. Yet I consider, verse 25, it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker and fellow soldier, but your messenger and the one who ministered to my need, since he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard it, he was sick. Listen to this, verse 27. For indeed, he, or Epaphroditus, was sick almost unto death. God had mercy on him, not only in him, but me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore I sent him the more eagerly that when you see him again, you may rejoice and I may be less sorrowful. Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness and hold such men in esteem. 
because for the work of Christ's sake, he became close to death, not regarding his life, to supply what was lacking in your service toward me. This last example of Epaphroditus and this last statement here is this, that serving is sacrificial. Serving, there, there's a sacrifice. If I'm really going to serve, how Paul spells it out, how these four examples were, Jesus humbled himself, was willing to die for us. Here, this example of Epaphroditus is just this guy in the church, and, and he's will, Paul says he almost died, and he almost died because he was wanting to make sure that he could take care of you, that he could serve you, that he could make sure the gospel was carried out. You know, as I had talked earlier about the history of Hallmark and the church, Hallmark has a great history of sending the gospel across the world, and Hallmark has a great history of people who are serving, and you see all through the book of Acts what Hallmark has tried to reproduce. So, so our goal is we exist to glorify God, to make disciples who make disciples, and a part of doing that, and we've seen it all over the world, we've, we've launched missionaries all over the world. And I'm glad to be a part of that, aren't you? And you see the example here. Paul, he, he, uh, on one of his missionary journeys, Timothy gets saved. Timothy then is equipped, and he understudy, and he's mentored by Paul. And then Paul sends him out. And we even read in this text that he's sending Timothy to them to encourage them. The same would be said of Epaphroditus. We see this in the church over and over again. Someone is saved. Someone is equipped. And God calls them out. And this morning we have, we have an opportunity. I'm going to ask Tyler and Ashley if they would make their way up here to see how that plays out right here in our church. We see it in the scripture. We see it in Acts. We see just a hint of it here in Philippians chapter number 2. And, and, and Tyler and Ashley, Tyler especially, Tyler, you know, Matt announced a little bit about the two camps that are coming up this summer. One of the reasons that, that we want you to help send those kids to camp is because lives are changed at camp. People give their life to Christ at camp. And 10 years ago, this coming summer, Tyler gave his life to Christ at summer camp. And it wasn't long after that that he surrendered to be to ministry. I think the very next year he, he preached his first message here at Hallmark Baptist Church. It, it was okay. No. He went off to Bible college, finished his degree. We, we hired him back as an intern because we see God's call in his life. Amen. He's about to finish his degree. The church here was allowed to adore, or, uh, give his ordination service a few years ago. Isn't that awesome? Amen. To see someone come up from your church, find Jesus, follow Jesus. Now we get an opportunity to launch him out to fulfill the mission we have. Glorify God, 